When I was 10 years old, I was sexually abused by my step-granddad. The thing with my step-granddad is, half the time he would do it when no one was in the room, half the time he would do it when people were in the room. Then my dad says to me, right, son, don't tell anybody about this. Don't go to school, don't tell your friends, don't tell the teachers. And only after his death, and we were best friends as well, we were very, very close. And it was only after his death I found out that he was abused too. Find forgiveness. Because you're not forgiving that person for what they've done to you. It actually has nothing to do with them whatsoever. I mean, I understand that. Like, I'm someone who says uh, forgiveness isn't needed, but I think it's important to define forgiveness. And then they brought her in to what the foster home actually was, which was a satanic cult. Break the silence, first to yourself, then to others. And if you know somebody who's living in silence, just give them the same message. So, Mr. Perry Power, welcome to the Edge of the Bed podcast. You are my second guest in the studio. We've had two male survivors in a trot, which is amazing. Um, what, what we're trying to do here is um, open conversations for young guys specifically. So, it's amazing to have you on. And yeah, just thank you so much. Ryan, thank you for um, reaching out. And I think I actually saw you, um, I can't remember, I know a survivor who I follow, but I follow quite a few. So, I can't remember which one specifically. But uh, a survivor shared you and somebody else on his story. And then that's how I found out about your podcast and I found out about your story and I found out your Instagram page. And yeah, I love what you do. I, whenever you're a survivor and you're speaking out, one for yourself continuously and two for other people, other victims living in silence, I think is a, is a great thing to be doing. So I, I want to start this off by appreciating what you do. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. And and you too, yeah, I really appreciate what you do. Um, I, came, I, I can't even remember how I came across your page as well. Um, but everything, I, I love how vulnerable you are. I love how much you go into your story and everything like that. Um, yeah, so same, right back at you. Um, thank you. Um, so I start my podcast off, right, with a bit of an odd question. Um, and it may make you uh, feel like you're on the spot a bit, but that's good because I feel like when I ask it on the spot, it makes people sort of um, think about it more and, you know, we get to know a little bit about you instantly. So, right. If you was a teddy bear, right? And I'm talking about them teddy bears that have, um, you know, the ones that you press on the chest and they usually have like three phrases that they say, yeah? Uh-huh. So like, if you go to build a bear, you can choose what phrase you put in them. Okay, so if you were a teddy bear, Mr. Perry Power, what three phrases would you say, would be the only three phrases that you could say? Uh, right. The first three that come to mind would be more affirmation style. So it would be, you have the power. See what I've done there? You have the power to do what you want. It's the first one. The second one is, you are enough. And the third one, and the reason why I make the third one break the silence is what I say. My whole message is break the silence. My book is break the silence. My TED talk was break the silence. Everything is break the silence, break the silence. For two reasons, right? One, because it relates to everybody who has been sexually abused, who is being sexually abused, break the silence because they're living in silence. But then also, if I want to just for a second expand that out, everybody can relate to break the silence. They don't have to have been sexually mm -hmm. abused. Everybody can, whether it was the bully at school, whether it's the fact that they cheated on their grades, right? Whether it's the fact that um, they, they, you know, they cheated on their messes, right? Like, for example, yeah. it could be absolutely anything, but they can relate to break the silence. So my third one from the teddy bear is going to be break the silence. Amazing. Amazing. That, that'd be one good teddy bear to have. I think you'd be, you'd be waking <laughs> up there feeling empowered every day, wouldn't you? If you had one of them. Oh yeah, there's no way you can't. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I, I love that about the way you tell your story. You focus on breaking the silence uh, in that TED talk you did um, and on your TikTok. I see that so much and I find it really interesting, but we'll go into that a little later. But for now, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and just ask uh, and, and just um, give you some space to, to share your story, a, a brief bit of your story, it's just so people know who, who may not uh, have come across your story, just so they know a little bit more about you. Uh, yeah, yeah, so go ahead. Sure. So, born and raised in West London, in Chiswick. I'm an actor. I have been an actor since I was a child. Uh, I'm, and I still am. One of the things which I'll go into later, one of the things that I am working on is the movie for Break the Silence and help shine a light on intrafamilial abuse. Kind of like, have you seen Spotlight? I haven't, no, no. Uh, okay, so every, everybody in the entire world should watch it, but especially if you've been through sexual abuse, that like you should not let another 24 hours go by without seeing Spotlight. It won Best Picture, it won, it won a lot of awards. And that film is basically um, about the Boston Globe uh, in, I believe it was in uh, 2001, where it's like Mark Ruffalo and Michael Keaton, uh, a few back, good, good, good few actors in there. And basically what, what happens is they get a case of a priest, a Catholic priest molesting a child in a church, mm -hmm. right? And then as they go into that case, they realize that there's been multiple cases, but they keep on getting cover up, cover, covered up, right? And then as they dive into it, because they had the balls to do so, they realize that it's a whole underground bloody empire of Catholic mm -hmm. priests all around the world molesting children, right? And, and, and I want to do the same thing, but shine a light but on intrafamilial abuse, sexual abuse that happens within the family. Now, the reason why I want to do that and why I do a thing that I do now is because when I was 10 years old, I was sexually abused by my step-granddad. Now, it happened for about a year and a half. Mm. And when it was happening, I didn't realize it was a thing that was happening, so to speak. I thought it was just a form of expression, a form of love that my step-granddad was giving me that no other family member were giving me. So I didn't see it as anything bad because... We're talking about 10, 10, right? So I'm nearly 27. So we're talking nearly 17 years ago. Sexual abuse wasn't a thing on the TV, right? It wasn't in the mm. newspapers. It wasn't in the magazines. So therefore, it wasn't this type of topic where loads of people know about it and they know right from wrong. So I had no idea, yeah. right? So it was, it, was just, it was just going on between me and my step-granddad. And then it got to a point where the re a lot of people asked, like, how did it stop? Well, it stops because... The thing with my step-granddad is half the time he would do it when no one was in the room, half the time he would do it when people were in the room. Mm. Right? That's, that's quite rare to see. Usually abusers are very, very discreet, aren't they? Um, so, you know, it, it is, um, yeah, yeah, you, you rarely see that. Yeah, I think, so I've, I've talked to a lot, like I'm talking, it's probably in the thousands now over the last four years of, victims and survivors of abuse people live in silence. people have broken it people were still going through it people went through it and i've and i've and for the, those who have shared with me the specifics of what happened to them the environment that it happened in it's usually a reflection not all the time but it's usually a reflection of what the abuser went through right mm. so what so what i figured out really reflecting on this and from all of the people i've been speaking to and finding out my step friend that story is that he essentially the reason why the spotlight film hits home as well because at the end of the movie 
before the credits, they list up first in America, all of the churches that have cases of abuse, then mm. all around the world, all of the cities that have had cases of abuse, but from Catholic priests. And my step granddad grew up in uh, Cork, an island, and that was listed. Then I find out that my step granddad, along with his brother, went to a Catholic boarding school, right? Wow. And he was raped, he was abused, as well as all the kids there from all of the priests. They would be chained up to the stairs, they'd be beaten up, they'd be raped, they'd be every, loads of things, but it always happen in front of other people. Oh, you see, wow. you see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. We have in front of the kids. So I think there's an element with my set granddad. He would do it to me whilst other people were in the room because it was a thrill for him of maybe being mm. caught. And it was some sense of familiarity because he went through a same or a similar thing with other people in the same room. So he's more comfortable probably from presence of other people, right? So, yeah, yeah. But with me, when, when I was people in there, he would do stuff very subtle. Like I was sitting on his lap. We're watching, usually it was eggheads, but we're watching TV. And he would have his hand on my pants, right? And he'd be playing with me. But very subtle. I didn't think anything. I just thought, you know, just didn't think anything of it. Yeah, you don't. You he don't. Would... Like, in my, in my experience, what happened to me, I was sexually abusing the shower. I just thought, this is this must be what just happens. You know, that, yeah. that's how you take it. So, yeah, I can com completely understand that. How do you know there's any other way until you know there's any other way? Like, do you know what I mean? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And kids just uh, go go along with what adults tell them. Kids just go along with that. So Of course they're impressionable and and because the adults are meant to be the 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 heroes in their story yeah. right they're meant to be the the guides so it makes sense and my when my stepgrandma was doing it to me on a sofa my stepmom was in the room and she was watching tv my stepgrandad had his arm over the arm of the sofa his free arm smoking mm -hmm. a roll-up cigarette but a cigarette fell out of his hand onto the carpet my my, my stepmom catches it out of the corner of her eye Mm -hmm. she didn't take anything notice of it but then he doesn't pick up a cigarette she's looking at cigarettes burning a hole in the carpet and she's like well why is he not picking it up and then she looks up and she sees his hand on my pants and then mm. she darts up but because she was only like a year or two into our family uh, no actually yeah. no she wasn't more than a year or two she's about five or six years into family but but a year a couple of years into it from marriage right mm -hmm. um so she didn't want to straight away be like what are you doing so she calls me out of the room. She takes me home. She tells my dad that my dad says to me, right, son, don't tell anybody about this. Don't go to school. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell the teachers. Keep this at home between these four walls. Yeah. And at the time, I was pissed at him. Not because course, he told yeah. me to keep it a secret, though. I was pissed at him because he wasn't now allowing me to go around my nan's house to mm, see him. So I yeah, still yeah. didn't. I, I, my dad now became the villain in the story, right? Yeah. So which you can imagine from his point of view, why is my son being pissed at me when I'm trying to protect him? But I still didn't get it. And then the years go on and I'm getting older throughout my teenage years and I'm starting to see what sexual abuse is. And I start to realize, oh, okay, that was wrong. But now as I start to realize, oh, that was wrong, I then start to realize, well, hold up a second. I went through that for a year and a half. I must have enjoyed it, right? Mm -hmm. Perry, yeah. you must have enjoyed it. Why would you let go for a year and a half? Why would you now say that your dad's a prick because he's the one that wouldn't let you go around your nan's house? So do mm. you're to blame here. And then as those thoughts start to seed into my brain, they started to grow into shame. They started to grow into self-hatred, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and as I said, I grew up in London. So I, um, I, those thoughts kind of became my identity. And I, I was the guy who, I was a virgin. 
I, didn't, I you know, I didn't have any girlfriends. I didn't know how to speak to girls. I didn't have many guy friends. I just had my my. And this was what, like late high school? You speaking? Yeah. So this was, uh, 14, 15, 16. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So 15, 16 years old, roughly, coming up toward like you know year ten, year eleven, yeah. and and that that was me. Now my so my step granddad passed away about two years after the the abuse happened from a heart attack mm. and then and and, my, and sorry uh, during that time uh, after your dad had told you to be quiet did you ever see him again or did you see him distantly it was or did you never even see never him, saw him never saw him so like i said my, so my dad i would see my nan sometimes because she used to work at checkout in sainsbury's so okay. i sometimes would go and see my nan at work but i would never i was never ever allowed to go around the house again and right? your nan was never aware of any of any of what well, he'd done well that's a different. Okay. I'll 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 Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, yeah. And uh, and and uh, the thing that my answer to that, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to, right? So okay. um, I uh, right. So my nan then passed away, um, about two years after my set granddad passed away. So or three okay. years, probably when I was about fifteen. Then my dad does up her house. They sell their house. My dad gets half of the money from the house. My auntie, his sister gets the other half. My auntie stays mm-hmm. in London. My dad and my stepmom was like, right, with this money, let's move out of London so we can actually buy a property. So then we move yeah. out to Bracknell in Berkshire. And I remember, I was like, okay, well, I'm coming to this area. And now I'm going to be coming to college here. Okay. Mm. Doing acting. I was like, but nobody knows me here. None of the students know me in this college. So it's a fresh start. And I was like, well, I'm an actor. I want to create a character. And I remember this clear as day. And I created Perry Power 2.0. Now this guy has slept with loads of girls. He's hella confident, right? He's a life at the party. He doesn't give a fuck about anything, right? Just mm-hmm. all those qualities that I idolize whenever I watch American movies and I'm seeing the jocks, right? I took that yeah. character that like, I'm going to become that character. So then I came to the college and then I was that guy. I just faked it. I faked it until I made it. And then I started to become that person actually in real life, right? And it was all great. Mm. I say all great. It's all great until the point where I go off traveling with my girlfriend at the time. We come back. We then get our first house. We move into our first house together. And then Lewis Howes brings out a book called Mask and Masculinity. Mm. Have you read that? I haven't, no. 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 So the Mask and Masculinity uh, Lewis House basically says that there's multiple, I, I can't remember, I think it's like 11 or 12 masks that men wear, right? Mm-hmm. And you might have the alpha male mask. So when you're with your lads, you need to be the dominant one, right? Yeah. So you're in the alpha mask. But when you're not with your lads anymore and you're at home, you take that mask off and you put on a different mask. So you're mm-hmm. always wearing a, this, these different masks depending on the situation, the environment that you're in to yeah. basically be the guy. And when I... S- he articulated it in a way, I remember his interview on Oprah, no, not on Oprah, but uh, Ellen DeGeneres. And it just happened to click with me in mm-hmm. such a way where it made me realize like, ah, okay. It wasn't necessarily yeah. a character that I created. It was these masks that I started, that I started to wear mm-hmm. in around the women, around the, the men in business environments. And it was yeah. these masks. See, it's odd because uh, I never... I never sort of dealt with anything like that. I've never been someone who's over, uh, felt like I've over, like had to prove myself. I did go through a stage that I've spoke about on the show before 
um, where I felt like I had to. So I started training jujitsu and martial arts to try and feel like manly, to try and feel, you know, masculine after what happened to me. Uh, my abuse went on till I was a little older. So it started to fade out when I was about 13, 14. So that's like in like them key stages of where you start to become a man, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so it was like, I feel like that had a massive impact on me. So um, for me, it was kind of the opposite. I was, I was always aiming towards being this, this person who is all masculine and, and you know what I mean? I, I, I was never that, but, um, and, and then I started doing jujitsu, started doing MMA. And then that made me realize that it's not important. Like mm. it's not important for me to act a certain way or to sort of, um, be this alpha male or anything like that. And, and, and that's, that's what that did for me. Um, when, when you go in, in a gym and there's a little tiny little old men who can submit you or tap you out. You know what I mean? It just makes you lose all of that ego and all yeah, of that, yeah. you know, bravado. So that was, that was massive for me. And, um, and yeah, I think guys, guys, like you said, will get into that stage of wanting to prove themselves and, and, and it can be dangerous and because they're not being vulnerable, they're not sharing what's actually going on inside. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and, when, and I'm guessing long, that's what was going on. When I started training. Well, and then when you had that realization. Um, probably in the last year, to be honest. Yeah. In the last year I, I had that, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to be vulnerable and I'm going to, you know, sharing my story was part of that. Like are people, I, I, my, my worry was always, are people going to think I'm weak or are people going to think I'm less manly? Are people going to think about the actions that actually happen, which is a big worry for most survivors. Um, and then when I let go of that and I thought I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to show that exterior wise, you don't have to be this strong alpha male type. You can just be yourself. You can be vulnerable and still, you know, be a man, I guess, you know what I'm talking? Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree. And that, and that's something, same realization that I had when, uh, well, there was multiple different moments, but it started with, with that book, with the message that Lewis gave out about the masks. And then when I realized about the mask that I had been wearing, I was like, okay, well, how can I rip this mask off ASAP? I was like, well, the only way I can do that is tell my girlfriend at the time who's finishing work, babe, the guy who you got with, this proper, proper player, wasn't really a player, right? Mm -hmm. It was a persona. You fell for a fake, you fell for a fraud. Mm -hmm. And then tell her about the abuse. And we went on a walk with our dog and I told her, and it's crazy. So that right there was actually the first time I broke my silence was to my girlfriend at the time. And she welcomed me with open arms. And it's crazy because I think when you live in silence for so long, you, you start to create a picture in your mind of what the world is. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and the world to you is, well, either people won't be able to relate to me. People think I'm a freak. People will think I deserved it. And all of those thoughts are just these thoughts are just lingering in your own mind because our mind is just a reflection. Well, so yeah. And when just, just curious, like for me, when I look back, I'm like, what were I thinking? Like no one's ever going to think of a survivor that way. And it's so weird that you're like caught in that mind frame and it, yeah, it's just, a, it's an odd thing to look back on. Yeah. And it's the thing. It's like when you're, when you're in that bubble, you don't know you're in the bubble. Like, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause you think that's your world. You don't it's know your reality. Yeah. Exactly. You don't know you, that you have a choice to step outside of that bubble. And there's many different bubbles you can step into yeah. that are full of more abundance and positivity. And, and I, when, when I told my girlfriend that I then went to a business mastermind conference, uh, 
probably about three months after that. And then there was five people there. It was me and five other uh, business guys. And and then when they went around and said, right, well, let introduce yourself. I then spoke out and told my story again. And it was wow. the same welcoming. And then it's crazy. I was driving home from that mastermind. I was like, right, I need to tell everyone. So but I don't want to call up every Tom, Dick and Harry and be like, mate, I was abused as a kid. This is why yeah. I fucked up. <laughs> right. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to tell everybody. I was like, how can I tell it once and everybody knows it? I was like, well, dude, you're on social media all the time. Just put a, f- a video out. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll do it when I get home. But as I'm driving home, I'm like, no, no, no. Because as soon as you get home, you're walking through that door, you're going to fall back into your old bubble. You won't end up doing it because you'll tell yourself and sell yourself a story as to why you shouldn't do it. So I now pulled over, literally, when I thought that, as I write, and I put the video on my dashboard, took me seven takes, and I did a video, put it out there about the abuse, and and then it literally just kind of went viral. But yeah, I think, you know, the interesting thing is, is that when I when I put that video out, um, my family didn't know that the abuse went on for a year and a half. They thought mm-hmm. it happened just that once, which is what my stepmom uh-huh. caught, right? And then, um, and then what I also found out is that it was me, my cousin, my auntie, and my dad that were abused by the same man yeah. growing up, right? So there's four uh-huh. of us within the family that were sexually abused. All four people, well, except for my cousin and my my auntie. But my dad, nobody knew about my dad except for my auntie, but she kept it to herself, yeah. right? So when I realized, I was like, so my dad was abused by him growing up. That makes sense why he told me to keep it a secret because he was keeping course, it yeah. a secret. And he's still stuck in that. that he was still you know, stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad became uh, an alcoholic. And uh, in about 2012, 2013 he started to drink more then that drinking became him being very negative then he had alarmingly high blood pressure which led to then having diabetes in january 2017 then june the 1st 2017 he has a heart attack and dies and he was 48 years old young right and only after his death and we were best friends as well we were very very close and it was only after his death i found out that he was abused too and when i found out that that was when my purpose clicked. And I was like, right, how many other people are out there, especially men, are living in silence because they were abused? And then here's the thing, it makes sense because my dad growing up, he was Cockney. My, half my family were Cockney, Cockney people. So you've got to be, you're a geezer, right? You're yeah. a geezer, you're a lad. Mm-hmm. So my dad always had this really, really masculine, I'm a man, right? And I remember once I got, I'll keep it short, I got mugged in a park when I was like, I think I was 13, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I went home to tell my dad, I just got mugged. My dad took a baseball bat, turned his rings around, went out into the park to a group of 15 kids. I said, which one of you just mugged my son? And my kid wasn't there, right? He goes, if you ever see him again, tell him that he's a dead man. We come home and I'm just walking behind him, just picturing this. At the time, my hero is this man. This is how you control a situation, right? We get home, walk into the kitchen. He turns around and looks at me. He goes, don't you ever, ever let somebody treat you like that again? And I was mugged, mm-hmm. right? So, so yeah. he set this tone of what masculinity is and then kind of similar to you and then I, I grew through it throughout life and then realized through my own uh errors my own teachings that that's not what being masculine is yeah yeah and, you know? and that goes back to what we were saying before like realizing what it means to be masculine if it's it's not even important to be masculine like what even is that 
you know what I mean? Like, why why do we need that label of being masculine? Um, I feel like it's it's a destructive thing to have. Just mm-hmm. be the person you are, the person you are inside. And, you know, it's difficult for survivors because as people, we are who we are because of our past experiences. We are a collection of our past experiences. That's what shapes us, you know? Yeah. And that's what any, you know, psychologist will tell you. Well, most psychologists will tell you. Um, and so it can, it can be really difficult um, when all you've known all your life is, you know, you've got to be this strong guy. You can't speak about your emotions. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing that your dad taught you. Obviously, it's not at all because that's what he's been brought up with. It's a generational thing. And obviously his experiences has probably led him to shut down over his life and think, you know, I don't want to feel that weak again. And yeah. and, and that's that's another common thing for male survivors, the fear of feeling weak again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that make it makes complete sense, especially especially as a male survivor, when our most intimate, our most intimate and vulnerable part of us is our personal space, right? Yeah, yeah. And if that is invaded by another male, then mm. that can destroy us if if we allow it to. And that's yeah. a key word, isn't it? Is is, is allowing it to? So yeah, it's just and and if did. The sort of what are the sort of things that you've struggled with as being a survivor? Like, um, you know, have you struggled with dissociation or uh, problems? With, obviously, you spoke about the problems you had growing up and putting on that bravado and the, and the masks. But uh, has, has there been anything else that you've sort of had to battle through um, from being a survivor? I think. Um, I think most of the things were were before. I went on a journey of breaking the silence and starting to heal. I think most of the things were before that, you know, um, I've never had a problem with association. Uh, my problems were, my problems were this false sense of identity and having to be something more than what I, than what really I should have been, you know, I yeah. think, and that, 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 that's really it. I think, but once I flipped the script, I, and I speak to, I speak, I, I come from a place of um, understanding and I think it's very hard to do that for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. I, say in my, I say in my book that the, one of the biggest themes is forgiveness. And when somebody's like, how on earth could I forgive? For example, I'll throw a story at it. How, how on earth can I forgive my uncle who raped me 12 times? Yeah. How can I forgive him? I can't forgive him. And I completely understand where you're coming from. But, and whilst there's a lot of people out there in professional uh, situations who say you don't need to find forgiveness, me personally, my story, I'm like, listen, if you want to listen to me, this is my advice, find forgiveness. Because mm. you're not forgiving that person for what they've done to you. It actually has nothing to do with them whatsoever, right? So that person's like, how can I forgive my uncle? You're, you know, you're like getting tense because you're like, if I forgive him, that means I'm letting them off the hook. I'm giving them a get out of jail free card. But it's got nothing to do with them. It's got everything to do with the person who's looking back at you in the mirror. You. You yeah. find forgiveness that allows you to move forward. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is because you say, is there anything that I struggle with from it? And whilst there are some things beforehand, there's also been some things after. Trying to get a message out of find forgiveness, come from a, from, from a place of understanding, that's also a struggle in its own right because I'm dealing with a lot of people. Like, how dare you say that to me because that shouldn't be the case. But Gaining an understanding is what allowed me to find out that my step-granddad grew up in a boarding school, was raped, right, was abused, mm-hmm. and then 
decided to not heal the wounds himself, but inflict that pain onto others. But I was only able to find that out once I came from a place of understanding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand that. Like, I'm someone who says uh, forgiveness isn't needed, but I think it's important to define forgiveness. So the common term forgiveness means um, you are letting go of the demons uh, of the past with a certain person so you can rebuild that relationship. Okay, that's what the term forgiveness usually, you know, equates to. That's what, yeah. Um, but what we're speaking about is letting go of resentment um, and letting go of, I guess, the hatred and everything you feel towards that person, but not in a way that um, what they did to you, you, you can't acknowledge it was wrong. It was wrong. And, what they, and, and the kind of person they are, you can still acknowledge that. And I, I think that part is, is important to get through. Um, but in terms of, you know, saying like, oh, I'd go and have coffee with that person now. Like I don't, that was obviously yeah. never needed. And, and I don't think no. anyone should do that anyway. Like no. never rebuild a relationship with an abusive person ever. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that part is not needed for, yeah. for sure, because that can cause a lot of damage to, to the victim. Yeah, of course. Yeah, in, yeah. Big time. So it is important to like define forgiveness because people hear that and they all go, oh, how dare you say that to me? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to ever yeah. meet that. I don't want to see that person. I'm not going to forgive them, whatever. And, th and that's not that's not what we're saying when we say that. Um, so, yeah. But still, I feel like even if you don't want to go through that process, because it takes, you know, to forgive someone, it does take an actual effort to go through that. And if you choose not to do that, then that's okay. That's your journey. And, and I don't think Perry or I would ever tell you to, to do that. Um, but like Perry said, um, you know, you think that it is something that's helped you and something that you would suggest, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I would never tell anybody to, to do anything because the steps that I have taken doesn't mean it's the steps that you should take. Like I say, so my biggest message is, as we've already established, is break the silence. Now, whenever I say break the silence, somebody hears my story, they hear the message, and then they're like, oh, okay, well, I'm guessing because Perry broke his silence to his girlfriend at the time, I need to break my silence by telling someone. And this is where I'm saying, no, 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 right? Breaking the silence can come in any form. Mm -hmm. And my message is break the silence to yourself first and then to others. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about that. I saw that on your TikTok. I think that is such an amazing, amazing angle to come at it. And, you know, because you can, people live, you know, they live in that stage of, well, I have anyway, I can't speak for everyone, but where you're in this denial where you're like, was it really that bad? Or did this really sort of happen? You don't want to, you don't want to tell yourself it happened because you're scared of what's that, what's that going to bring up? What's that going to feel like? What's that going to, you know, what's that going to do to yourself? So yeah, I really loved that part. And uh, I love the different methods you explain. If you want to go into that, like the ways that people can, uh, you know, break their silence themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there, there is an endless way, endless ways to break your silence. You can journal it, write it in the, because here's the thing. It's not about the method. And it, and this is something very, very key. It is really, really not about the method because there's an endless amount of methods. Then, you know, the method of how you do it is it's kind of like the end result, it's a process, but it's about, it's about putting the emotions at the forefront and then allowing your emotions to unlock that cage that you've, you know, you locked that cage up 15 years ago and you threw away the key, right? Find yeah. that key, unlock it, 
then allow your emotions to flow through the activity. So for example, journal, you could actually write it out. You can tell yourself in the mirror, you're still breaking the silence to yourself first because there's power in words. You're speaking out into existence. Another one that I love, I went to an art fair, uh, I think about two or two weeks ago, I think it was. And my favorite one is about art because I love art. And mm-hmm. if you look at, if you look at a painting, so you've got a canvas on a wall, you have a look at this painting and it just looks like a random splash of different colors. Is that this, this art, you know, this artist has got paintbrush and just splash it all over and you're just looking at it and you're like, what on earth is that? Right? Yeah. A lot of people do. I'm not saying I do, but a lot of people are like, what on earth is that? Usually paintings like that have like a 50,000 pound price tag and then like, well, what, what on earth is this? Right? And they're like, that's not art. And then look at something else of like a beautiful landscape and then like, that's art. But here's the thing. How do you not know that that painter, that artist was living in silence for 22 years? And the mm. way that they broke their silence to themselves was through a- allowing their emotions to be unleashed onto what was a blank canvas. Right. Yeah. So if you can, if you can take that, if you can take that example and just relate it to what maybe you're good at, right. It could be writing mm. a song. It could be journaling. It could be, it can even be going to a gym and punching a punch bag. Now, why? Yeah. Because you're allowing each punch to be a single strain of emotion that you have had locked inside of you. Mm. And then it's about, right. Taking steps of breaking the silence to yourself first and then breaking it to somebody else on step 100 rather than that being step one yeah yeah right. just like, just so. accepting accepting that this did happen is you know it is really important we've come to the part in the podcast where i look through your instagram and we check out a few things that are in your bio um and you know we just have a little bit of a conversation about it so i picked out a few things and you've touched on it already but um you are a best-selling author it says um, so I just want to know kind of like what that process was like writing the book, bringing up all those memories back. And yeah, just, just what was that like getting that down on paper? Yeah. So the book, the book was an interesting one. I I've, I've always been a writer. I've always, I've written just, just a different, different things over the years. And it came to the first lockdown. So when Corona became a thing, we went into the first lockdown here in the UK. I kind of hit a point where I just didn't feel like I was chasing after my purpose. I wasn't acting much. I wasn't doing much with my story and I wasn't doing much with other people's stories. So now I left my old business. I had a business called Fit Story with my business partner and I left it because mm-hmm. it was just out of alignment. And I was like, okay, what should I do? I then wrote a feature film script. Right. And I wrote that. I was like, okay, what's the next thing I should do? We all had a lot of time in our hands, I can imagine, in the first lockdown. And then I was like, okay, well, whilst I'm thinking about it, it was in the evening. I went onto Netflix. Jeffrey Epstein's documentary was just on there. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was Netflix. And I was two or three episodes in. And I was lit- and I was watching this. And I'm just crying, not crying because of because I don't get emotional in, really in any way when it comes to reflecting back on what I went through. I okay. get emotional when I'm witnessing other people in pain from what they went through, mm-hmm. right? That's what, that's what triggers me big time. And I was watching this documentary and these girls were just crying because they're saying that they were just trapped in this silence for so many years because they're just a nobody who lives on a street on Nowhere Village. We've got Jeffrey Epstein, he's worth a gazillion dollars who's connected with every powerful person in in, in the world. Who are they to go up against him? So they will do what he says. 
And when I was, and then that, I was like, Jesus, I said, I've got to do something. Because prior to that, right, I'd already been sharing my story consistently since 2017, consistently. Because I wrote this book last year, right? So I've been sharing my story for four years now consistently. And I went onto TikTok and I went viral on TikTok. So my, my message, and I, and I say this not for vanity, just to show you how this message resonates. My eye grew very quickly to over 100,000 followers on TikTok, to over 2 million likes on TikTok. It started wow. off with my story, then I went to my dad's story, living and dying in silence, and then just went completely viral. I think that video is sitting at like five and a half, nearly six million views now. Yeah. And, and, and and just how, how does it feel to know that that many people have seen your story and, and probably most of them related to that story and maybe even gone on to be inspired by you and speak up from seeing that short little clip on TikTok? How, how does that, that must feel like incredible but also a little bit daunting knowing that that many people have seen your face and and heard all that it got daunting when i so the reason why i went on it very quickly is because i've been speaking to a lot of adults and adults who are in their 20s and 30s who broken breaking their silence to me i was like okay but i want to try and hit the people that's a lot earlier than that so well that's kids and teenagers and at a time that was the only demographic on tiktok year and a half two years ago uh, yeah, about two years ago, I went on TikTok. And then when I started to do those videos, because you can't DM people on TikTok unless they're following you, I then started to get loads of DMs on Instagram. And when I mean loads, in the, in the prime of my account rising, I would get literally anywhere between five and 20 DMs every single day for nearly a year. Wow. Right? And that is no exaggeration. It was crazy. To begin with, it was like, oh, this is amazing. My, my, my you know, it's resonating. I'll, and I was, I was in my Instagram DMs nearly all day, every day. And it was okay because it was during lockdown. I wasn't doing anything else. Yeah. But then it got to a point where I got this one message where it was from this person who was living at home with her mum and her uncle. And the uncle was raping her and abusing her whilst her mum was burning out cigarette butts in her right wow. and she was going through it and, I, and she asked for, and she and well she just told me she's like i'm going through this right any words you have would be great that's all she said and i remember reading it and then that was when it hit me and i shit myself and i didn't reply back to anybody for nearly a month mm. now the reason why is because in that moment when i saw that message i had this overwhelming burden and what felt like a burden on me that i needed to be harry potter with a magic wand and just solve a situation, right? Mm. But then I realized I don't have a magic wand and I realized I can't solve a situation. And then I've really beat myself up that I should be doing yeah. more, right? I should be doing more. So now I stopped replying back to everyone. And I was meditating about a month after that. And as I was meditating, I asked myself a question. I was like, when you shared your story, was you sharing it for a reaction or was you sharing it for yourself? I was like, mm. I was sharing it. And then I was like, no, I was sharing it for myself. I was like, and then I asked myself, did it matter what the reaction was from that other person? I was like, well, no, I just kind of just want it to be heard. And when I said that to myself, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, okay. And I went back to that one and worked my way through the messages. I was like, she just wants to be heard. She doesn't want, right, you need to go do step A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all yeah. the way to Z. She just wants, she just wants from Perry Power, the, the, her older brother figure who's been through what she's been through because she's been watching those videos on TikTok and she just wants something from him to be along the lines of, hey, I hear you, I see you, I feel for you and I'm here if you ever want to talk and I love you, right? And that yeah. was it. 
And when I said that, that was what she needed to hear. And I said to somebody else, that's what they needed to hear. And then, and then that kind of got me through that sticking point. But it was a crazy, crazy, crazy sticking point. But then that TikTok then was like, okay, well, what else can I do? Then the book came along. And then I wrote the book in about a month. And it's interesting what happened here because I wrote a book in about a month. And then once I wrote the book, I was like, um, I was like, I need to get it to a publisher, right? I need it to be in all bookstores. I need it to be the best. But then that yeah. perfection, which is just a bunch of insecurities or for it to not be right, I sat on that book for nearly a year, not getting it out there. Then I yeah. moved location and I was like, dude, what are you doing? And I just self-published a book and then it just completely just took off by storm. And the book, over 650 copies sold, got in, I got into a lot of press in the sun, got a TEDx talk. Now I'm turning it into a script. And it's interesting because I wrote the book in three parts. Mm. Part one is my story. Part two, there's 14 stories in there in part two of other survivors of sexual abuse. And then I made a page for story number 15. And that's for the reader. So they can get a pen and they can write their story in wow, story number a, 15. I love that. I love that. And one. then now they are part of the book. They are the 15th mm. survivor. And then part three of the book is steps one can take. That's got questions in it. They've got exercises like the identity shift that they can do to shed their old identity and adopt a new one. And that's all in the book. So it's kind of like a guide for, for victims of sexual abuse to help them break their silence and become a strong, powerful survivor. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so moving on a little bit down your bio to the second thing that I picked out, it says charity co-founder, we rescue kids. So I just want you to talk a little bit about what the charity does and how you got involved in that, how that whole thing started. Yeah. So we rescue kids. So there's, there's me and two other co-founders. We have Juliet and we have Sam. Now Juliet, I, so I got into entrepreneurship when I was 20 well, specifically when I was 21, I was doing business models beforehand, but all in at 21. Now, when I got in, I joined like a business program yeah. and she, this Juliet was on there as like the star student, right? Mm -hmm. So she became like, she lives out in America. So, so does Sam. Sam's Canadian, but he lives out in America with Juliet. And that's how I became acquainted to her. So we, were fo we followed each other. And then years went on, she shared her story. Now I'll say very quickly, Juliet, uh, was put as a baby on a doorstep of a foster home. Okay. Mm. Now this foster parent has a bunch of kids and her foster parents took Julia in and they raised her until she got to a certain age where she, where she can think clearly and make decisions. Yeah. And then they brought her in to what the foster home actually was, which was a satanic cult. And they had a list of clientele that would come in and all the kids would either be tortured, cut open, they'll be chained up and raped. Wow. Juliet would have to hold her friends down whilst that friend would, well, shoot. So Juliet and the other kids would hold down one kid whilst they were being raped by the man or they'll be oh cut open, God. blood everywhere, right? So Juliet has scars on her and all this sort of shit, right? So she was brought up in a satanic cult. And then this woman came along, her foster mum, and then took her out, but not knowing what the house was, right? Mm. And then, um, so basically, Juliet's story is from foster care and satanic cults. And she was like, I need to do something. So she started something, like an idea, and she named it after, after a foster mom after she passed away. And then yeah. when she found out my story, and, she's, and I've told her about the TikTok and the messages and the following, she's like, Perry, we've got, to, we've got to do something together. So then that's when we formed WRK, We Rescue Kids. And yeah. the big vision of We Rescue Kids 
is there's two halves to it. One half is boots on the ground and we intercept them and we're rescuing kids from child sex trafficking rings, from satanic cults, from foster care homes. And we're rescuing them and we're bringing them into our safe homes. That's the first part. Then we had the second part, which is one joined to that, but also two separate because they don't need to be in a foster care home to take advantage of the second part. That's providing yeah. free mental health care to child survivors of sexual abuse. So we give them a therapist and we partner therapists up with that child and we make them heal, positively move on, you know, with a better life with the tools and resources that they need to positively move forward. Just oh, say that we're at now, we have, which is great. It's a big celebration. Last week we took on our, cause it takes a lot of work to get a charity going. And we, so we're in our, yeah, I can we, imagine. we've just done our first year. So in, in, uh, in uh, September, it'll be our first year. And last week, we just took on our first five kids. So now we have our first five kids into the charity. They've already got a therapist and we're having calls with the parents. And now we, we're starting the, the therapeutic um, process, which will be six or 12 months of therapy for each child. And then all of the sponsors and the donors will be getting updates and material about how that child is doing in our care. Wow, that's amazing, mate. Thank you for, for doing that. That's, yeah, incredible work you're doing there. No, thanks. So last little weird question I have for you. Well, one of the last weird questions I have for you. All my questions are usually quite weird. Um, so one thing that's helped me a lot in my healing and journey has been music. And like music's just, yeah, it's the main thing that I love in my life. Like, honestly, I don't play, well, I can play piano. But um, other than that, I'm, I'm not very talented. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't break out in song right now. But um, yeah, so my question is, what song or you can name album or um or artist if you can't think of one uh has played a huge role in your life or journey yeah so you can be uh, like i said it can be song artist or album that's played a huge role oh um can i get can i be cheeky and give free answers yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so course, yeah. my whole, my whole life, because my dad raised me on him. I went to every, I say concert cause he's dead, but like his band still traveled around and he had a, like a hologram of him. He's Elvis Presley. He's my man. Okay. He's my nice. go-to guy. He's, he's my Don. Right. Yeah. So Elvis Presley, uh, there, there's too many connections to that guy, to his songs for, for the art. If I had to give one of the Elvis, there's, there's too yeah. much tied to him. Um, but then artists that I came into uh, within the last few years, I'm a big country guy. I love my country music. Oh, like no way. Me too. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. I love country music, man. Luke Combs. Oh, man. Yeah. Kane yeah. Brown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, yeah I'll I, I get excited. When, any, when anyone says I like country music, I'm like, oh, yeah, come on, man. Because it's, it's not so me. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I can imagine it's like if a guy's driving his Harley, he stops at the traffic lights, this other guy rolls up with a Harley, you look at each other and you just nod, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah? That's, that's why it. that's yeah, what yeah, I man. see with country music. So country music is has been the biggest thing for me. It makes me cry, it makes me laugh. Yeah. Uh everything. I'll tell you what though, I went through a breakup um last year. Don't don't listen to country music when you go through a breakup. Because <laughs> because uh it it will it just you find meaning to every word even if it doesn't yeah, really yeah. 
Like, do you know what I mean? But like for me, country, uh, my favorite um, artist is Morgan Wallen. Right? Oh man, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Whiskey Glasses, Morgan, what a tune. That's it. And his, his latest album, there's over 30 songs in an album and it's crazy, crazy. But yeah, Morgan and also Lynn Skinnerd, but their album, uh, Gods and Guns. So that one is a, is a fantastic album to yeah. listen to. Country music is like the gent genre or whatever that's still like, that's still good. I think it's still good. Like it's yeah, not been yeah. taunted by like modern life. It's just how it's always been, you know, it's modernized exactly. a little bit, the instruments and stuff, but it's still like everything has meaning. And, and that's what exactly every it. song is a story, like a proper story. You know, right. have you been to a C2C yet? A what? The, the country to country festival at the O2 arena. No, no, I haven't. I need to uh, know. I went to see uh, Dan and Shay, which are like half country, uh, half yeah. pop now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I went yeah, to they... see them live. That was amazing. And then we saw them uh, like walking out of the place at the back. So that was really good. Um, uh, and yeah, nice. Dan and yeah. Shay, like They're the good. old stuff. I, like I, prefer, I, I love their old stuff more than when the new stuff, but I still like the new stuff, obviously. But yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of, of, of their old stuff too. Because a lot some of their songs, are, they're transitioning. They're doing like a little Taylor Swift, aren't they, in a way? Yeah, they're going into pop and yeah. doing tunes with Justin Bieber and all that. But yeah, yeah. Amazing stuff, mate. So thank you so much for coming on, Perry. It has been amazing to speak with you. And, you know, I I said before, but your story's uh, yeah, so inspiring and just continue doing the work you're doing, which I'm sure you will anyway. I don't need to tell you that. But yeah, it's amazing stuff, mate. No, thanks, Ryan. Thank you for giving me the the, the hour to share my story and share my message to anybody who's listening. If you're still living in silence, Break the silence, first to yourself, then to others. And if you know somebody who's living in silence, just give them the same message, whether it's this podcast, it's the book, it's, it's anything. But I think the message holds a lot of power. So anything you can yeah. spread the message. Definitely does. Definitely does.